Welcome to another episode of Becoming Referrable, the podcast that helps you be the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Julie Littlechild, and on this week's show, Steve and I are speaking with George Hartman. George brings a really unique perspective because he's been an advisor, an educator, as well as an industry executive. He's written four best-selling books for financial advisors, and his latest, which is called Exit is Not a Four-Letter Word, How to Transition Your Practice Profitably and Proudly, came out last year. Today, George is a consultant, a speaker, and a coach with his firm Market Logics, which he describes as being focused on helping both financial organizations and advisors realize the true potential of their business. I've had the pleasure of knowing George for many years and was excited to ask him about his thoughts about how the referral process is changing and what that means for advisors. So we talk about the way referrals are made today and both the pitfalls and the opportunities that these changes create. We focus in on what prospects do when they're referred to you, the information they find, and the impact that has on the potential that you'll ever meet. And with that, let's get to the conversation. So, George, welcome to the show. So glad to have you here. Welcome, George. Hey, this is a real pleasure and an honor, of course. (laughs) Well, the honor is all ours. Um, So we've got a lot we wanted to talk to you about today. Uh, I know one of the things that we've talked about over the years is just how the the whole process of of, uh, referrals has changed. And I'd love to talk to you and, and maybe start there and just ask you, what do you think are some of the most important ways that referrals are changing or being impacted going forward? Well, I mean, that's... Uh, start with a big question. It, yeah, start with, start with a time. How much time do we have here? Yeah, um, no more than four hours, I promise. <laughs> so the, I think the, you know, the, the major influence is clearly technology and uh, in particular, you know, access the, to information that uh, prospective clients have and even that people who are going to make referrals have. You know, in the old day, if, uh, if you know, the three of us were connected in some way and and um, Julie decided that uh, she should refer me, for example, to Steve. You know, she might call up uh, Steve and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to send this guy over to you or you should call him. Or she might say to me, you should connect with Steve. In an ideal world, she'd say, let's the three of us go to lunch. So that's kind of the old referral process. Today, what's more likely to happen is that Julie would say, you know, George, you should go and check out Steve. And then I'd go online and I'd look at his LinkedIn profile and his websites and, and hopefully find all kinds of information that would uh, encourage me to, to make a connection with Steve. So I think the, to a certain extent, there's a disintermediation that's occurred between the referrer and the person um, to whom they are referring. Uh, so I think that's probably the, the biggest change. So that presumably is a risk and an opportunity, if you think about it. I mean, there's this big gaping hole now between uh, here's the referral and, and it ever actually uh, happening. So if, if that's the case, you mentioned technology. Where do you see clients going at that point? I've heard that this person is, is, is maybe worth chatting to. What happens? Where do I go and what do I find when I get there? Yeah, it, it preconditions us, of course, and pre-informs us. Um, and the other thing that it does, and Steve has talked about this eloquently many times, I know, 
is that it removes some of the risk from the whole equation. You know, one of the, the fears that people have in making a referral, of course, is that somehow they're going to, uh, you know, impinge on a relationship, personal relationship they have uh, with the person to whom they're making the referral. And by simply saying, go and check them out, you're really transferring that risk to the person being referred, right? They can make their own choices to whether or not they continue on to make contact. And I guess the part of the potential risk is if, if I make a referral and I think that this is the ideal referral, I'm passionate that you should go and check out Steve, but you get there wherever there is, and maybe we need to talk about that, you know, whether it's his LinkedIn profile or what have you. And, and the messaging, I suppose, now digitally maybe becomes so much more important. Is that, is that a fair comment? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's not going to be sufficient simply to go and say, oh, yes, I found out they do have a LinkedIn profile. They do have a, a website. What do we need to find or what the, the person being referred needs to find when they Google you, so to speak, uh, is something that's relevant to them, something that is meaningful and timely at the particular point in, in their lives when they're, you know, perhaps contemplating needing some advice like this. So, you know, in an ideal world, yes, they'd find a compelling profile, a story, some value add, uh, you know, an invitation to download the latest uh, version of your ebook, uh, something like that that's going to not only set them the the refer e apart, um, but also to uh, to provide some some value even before we connect. Is there George? Is there any um, anything that an advisor can do to sort of uh, set the stage for that? So knowing that the the client is likely to not just give out the advisor's phone number, but to refer them to the website or whatnot. Is there any way that um, does that change how the advisor sets up the referral with the with the client in the first place? Well, I think it, it, there's a whole range of potential there. Uh, you know, that could go all the way from, uh, you know, logging on to, uh, to an online uh, calendar. For example, I use one. Um, I have advisors who seek me out for various reasons, uh, either through referral or direct contact or, or through some search. And they can go on and they can initiate um, a meeting with me, either by telephone, a video conference, uh, or even in person. Uh, invite them to do that. So that, that might be one extreme. Um, but alternatively, I want to make sure when people, when someone does provide a referral or an introduction or even just a, a broad-based reference to me, um, that I'm ready to receive it. Uh, that I have confidence that when people go onto my site or um, that they're going to find easy access. Again, as I said, they'll find information that's of value and there's some call to action that makes it uh, just, you know, dead slick easy for them to get in touch with me. And so, I, you know, it's interesting. We, we talk or end up talking, I guess, a lot about uh, ideal client or niche or target client or some version of this, but it strikes me as you're talking that that, that becomes increasingly important. I mean, would you agree with that? I mean, if, if now I'm going to be out there looking for information uh, and I need information that's relevant for me, uh, how else am I going to find that unless that advisor is actually targeting their communications and positioning to to my specific needs? Sure, I think that that's a great uh, a great lesson for for all advisors in there. The information that I find when I go and look f for you on online, uh, as I said, has to be relevant. And so, if I have a reasonably well defined target market, 
all of my messaging should be directed to that target market. Yes, there will be people who come and look and say, well, there's nothing here for me. You know, at the end of the day, that may not be a bad outcome because if there's a, a disconnect or at least a distance between the type of people that you want to attract with your message online and those who find it attractive, um, then I think it's, you're just, you know, probably in, to some extent not making the best use of each other's time. And do you think there's any kind of, I don't know, hierarchy um, or, or or perhaps it's different from every other, every advisor in, in terms of what they need to think about then digitally. So I could think about my LinkedIn profile. I could think about Twitter. I could think about Facebook, about my website. I, I mean, would you recommend that advisors take stock in a particular order or does it depend who they're trying to attract? Uh, if you're talking about the various access points, is that your Yeah, reference? yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the core of any digital marketing strategy is the website. That's the kind of base and foundation for everything. Everything else should lead back to that. So whether it's my LinkedIn profile or whether it's my blog, even my, my Twitter or Facebook postings, whatever it might be, they should all lead back to, in my view, to the website because that's the best opportunity. It's the most uh, fulsome opportunity uh, to, to, you know, tag on all kinds of things and hang stuff off the site and, and provide additional information, insight, tools, calculators, whatever it might be that's appropriate for the market I'm addressing. Uh, so everything should lead back to that. And you mentioned lead magnets. Have you seen some good examples of those? And, and you know, maybe it's worth sort of talking in a little more detail about how, how that works. Yeah, I didn't use the word lead magnet. You did, but that's... Oh, a- really? <laughs> I no, thought but- for sure you said that. <laughs> no, that's but that- what, isn't it funny? That's what I heard. Well, you see, and, and, and that's good because that's exactly what we work on. <laughs> Uh, I read your yeah, mind. Yeah, no, I, I think it's absolutely essential that there be some attraction. I use, I think I use the word call to action. Um, but essentially, yeah, there should be some sort of an invitation. And it should be initially, it's kind of a graduated process. You know, the first invitation is a, is a low effort, low risk type of thing. You know, click here for this. Uh, the next one, the next high level up might be, you know, click here, give us your email and then download our ebook uh, or this checklist or whatever it might be. So that over, you know, as, with, with, with a greater sense of confidence on the part of the person searching, we're, we're building trust. And as we build trust, then we become deeper and deeper engaged and we can continue to evolve the expression of our value proposition to a higher level each time. So the lead magnet, if we use that terminology, um, should be that free offer, that, that quick and easy download, do this, go here, read this, whatever. It might well, be. and let me ask you, um, let me drill into that a little bit. I, you know, when in our last study, Julie and I found that one of the things that was most highly correlated with um, with getting a lot of referrals was having a, a good, solid, organized referral marketing system. And, and the way that we're interpreting that is to include things like if somebody shows up at your website, make sure that there's a way to capture their information so that you can then initiate that uh, that relationship. Can you um, go into a little bit more detail? Because you just talked about the different levels of things. Can you talk a little bit more about what kinds of objectives like that an advisor needs to have in that strategy of gradually ramping people's trust up and to the point where they can get a meeting? Sure. Um, again, you, you, there has to be some sort of background uh, lead capture CRM type system in place that, 
that uh, you know might and again depends on on and what you feel is the strength of your message and your value proposition. If you're feeling really good about it, if it is unique, if and it's uh, it's powerful and it's compelling, and you or at least you believe it to be, um, then then I don't know that you need to spend as much time building the trust if you've got credibility. You know, and I can I can use the two of you as an example because you're so highly regarded in the industry. If if you publish something, people you know without any hesitation will uh, you know click onto it, log on, subscribe to it, whatever it might be. If, if I'm building from the ground up as an advisor, for example, who has not done much digital marketing, I may need to ease people in. I may need to capture their attention a little bit first. Uh, but certainly when I get to a certain point, I want to be able to gather enough information. And the typical starting point is, is a simple email address. Uh, and the email address then goes into your CRM system. And then there's some sort of an auto-respond mechanism within the CRM system that, you know, fires a message back and says, "Hey, Steve, thanks for downloading our ebook, and thought you might be interested in this." And it leads us then to the next commitment and the next higher level of trust. And we use things like Mailchimp for that kind of thing. So it might be worth even throwing in some resources in the show notes of different the different technologies because they're not complicated. Right. It's just it's just sort of understanding some of the different categories of technology and how they can they can be so helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there the, the technology has has not only expanded in terms of choice, but uh, in terms of capability and ease of use. You know, one it's it's in, we're talking in a way about how to engage prospective clients, which I think is you know obviously so important. I always think that in the past prospects were kind of like ghosts. You know, nobody knew they were there, floating by a website. And this is about almost reaching out and trying to to begin that relationship that you you were talking about. But what about the the kind of information that a prospective client might want to see? So I've been referred. I go to the website. What is it specifically that you think the advisor needs to share so that I can determine if I even want to take it to the next step? Sure. I think that the, the starting point for that is to have a, an understanding of what your preferred client uh, would like to, what it is, what's their level of interest in, in a particular area. So if I, for example, am, uh, am an estate planner, that's my specialty. Um, then I, I want to be able to provide information to people who have estate planning on their minds, um, who are in my, my target area, my market area geographically perhaps, uh, or age-wise or some other demographic per, uh, maybe coming into play there. Um, but I want to be able to provide them with information that, you know, is not commonly available, but yet is, is common sense. and. So, uh, you know, if I can position myself as a subject matter expert, even at a very low level uh, to begin with, and then as people engage with me more and more, then I can, be, I can narrow the focus and I can kind of elevate the degree of sophistication of my communications. So can so can uh, if you could expand on that a little bit, one of the things that I see advisors do when they start offering these kinds of things is to offer things that are evergreen, you know, and in my, from my perspective, too basic. Um, can you talk a little bit about what level of specificity or what level of sophistication things need to be to be effective in, in getting people to look at you as a credible source for more of that kind of information? 
Sure. And I think that again goes back to the question of, you know, who is the target market and what do they want? Uh, so if I'm an advisor, for example, just starting out and I'm relatively young in years and experience, uh, you know, my target market may not be as knowledgeable as, for example, someone who's been around 20 years and has all kinds of accreditation after their name. So my information that I put out can, I think, to a certain extent, be more evergreen. You know, I can talk, for example, about the, the inherent value of financial planning or the, you know, why um, bond funds go down when interest rates go up, uh, those sorts of things. Um, so if, if, I'm, if I'm dealing with, with a, a market with more complicated needs or more comprehensive needs, at least, um, then, I, then I want to be able to, I want to be sure that, sure that my message is, is targeted at the right level. You know, people who are, you know, I, I just came out of a meeting this morning, for example, um, with a client that we're coaching uh, who deals in the ultra high net worth insurance market. And um, and so we're talking about his his web strategy. And, uh, you know, he's not going to go on and talk about the difference between term and whole life uh, with that's not the message that people who are referred to him through family offices and attorneys and accountants, uh, for example, uh, are, are going to expect to find what they want to find is, you know, how do I mitigate this tax? How do I how do I distribute the assets in my my estate in the most appropriate manner? You know, how do I deal with uh, recalcitrant children, children, and so on? Um, so I, the message has to be geared to the target market. I guess is the bottom line to it. And one of the things, the objections almost that I, I hear from advisors when it comes to digital is. Uh, you know, my clients, my clients are older and uh, they're not going online. They're my prospective clients in this case. They're not going online to find out information about me. Uh, and, you know, it was interesting because we did, we did a little research on this and, and saw that, as you might expect, younger clients were absolutely more likely to be searching for information, looking for, for that, that messaging. Um, and, and older clients were not. And, and, and at first you thought, well, okay, that validates that, that objection. However, you also realize that most of the older clients started their relationships 20, 30 years ago. And when we asked the question, if you were looking for an advisor today, would you go online to find more information? And it wasn't an overwhelming yes, but you could absolutely see how much more important this was. So I don't know what you guys think, but I, I feel like we need to um, we, we need to set aside this demographic argument uh, when it comes to digital. Um, I, I would certainly concur with that. And I, I mean, I've read numerous studies, uh, as you have, and you've obviously crafted one of your own that. The, the use of, uh, of digital access to information uh, among both older, older people and also higher net worth people is, is typically much higher than, than most of us would anticipate. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with yeah, I agree with that too, Julie. I, I, and I think it's an interesting insight that, that um, you're, you know, the people who believe that are, are talking about the clients that they met so long ago. And if those people were to do it today, I mean, you know, boomers are just as active users of the internet as, as anybody, the platforms may be different. So, you know, they may look at Google or, uh, even, even Facebook more and the kids are going to be looking at Instagram and other kinds of things. But yeah, I think the internet is something that, that everybody shares, but, but that brings up another question, George, what, um, 
you know, how does an advisor figure out um, which and how many platforms they need to be involved in to facilitate that kind of activity? Sure. Again, I think that goes back to the target market. If I've got a broad-based practice that that has millennials and their grandparents, um, then I probably need a wider range. You know, I was communicating with someone on Friday and I needed an answer for actually a meeting I had this morning. And I'm firing off emails and I'm not getting a response. And then finally I got one earlier this morning and they said, don't send me emails anymore. Just text me. All right. You old fashioned guy, you. (laughs) (laughs) The subtext there was quite quite clear. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, (laughs) yeah. And, and so, you know, again, but if I were, if I were dealing with, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, a high end, uh, older or high net worth older uh, client that they'd be more inclined to to read an email and I know a lot of senior executives that you know first that's how they spend their Sunday morning is catching up on their email um, rather than text they wouldn't expect you to text them on, on their cell phones so I think it, does, it very much does depend it, it remind it, it reminds me of uh, Julie will appreciate this one of one of my wife's like favorite jokes which is you know somebody calls you know somebody else and says hey listen i need to send you a fax where can i send it to and they said i'm sorry i, I can't get a fax where i am and they said why w- where are you and they said the 21st century <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i love that <laughs> it's so true yeah i mean there's research out there just to, to emphasize this point you know that that millennials if they if they're even aware would prefer not to receive a pdf copy of anything uh, they either want a direct access or an ability to download, uh, you know, information. So, sending off PDFs, of, uh, you know, to to younger clients is probably um, not not adding to your credibility. Right. So, I wonder if I could sort of not digress, but maybe build on this. We've we've been talking about the kind of information that people will find, you know, whether that's consistent and hopefully is consistent with your target market. Is there another step to consider in terms of how you take that information and make it more shareable? So how do we take that great information and, and help it drive referrals if, if we can? Um, again, you know, if, just about any website that you go to or even on the bottom of most people's uh, signature on their email now you find the the buttons for Facebook and Twitter and Mm -hmm. uh, LinkedIn where people can share that and and to the extent obviously that you can create a sharing community then it expands your influence Um, you know and and I I think encouraging people just to say you know if there's anyone else you know that, that you think might be interested in this feel free to pass it along or provide me with their access information and I'll pass it along to them I think it's a constant message. You know, I'm, I'm of the belief that, and, and, and I think it's important to state in, in, the tech, in the context of our conversation today, this is not the only way to get referrals, and this is mm-hmm. not the only way to market. Uh, many of the traditional ways of, you know, uh, you know hand-to-hand uh, sort of face-to-face uh, communication still work uh, very, very well, and uh, will continue to work well forever, I think. Um, but... You know, if you're going to have a variety of marketing activities on the go, which I, I believe every advisor should have two, three, or four of them on the go all the time, this is a relatively easy and inexpensive one that has a wide reach and um, has a pretty good impact. 
So um, in terms of extending the, the audience for it, yeah, make it easy for people to share. Make it easy for them to pass along. Make it easy for them to reference. Give them language, uh, terminology they can. You know, I just read this great article came out from Julie, and they don't necessarily have to, you know, regurgitate the article. But if they can cap, if you've ca they captured the essence of it, and can describe it succinctly to somebody else, then that might expand your audience. And I think a lot of it goes back to your earlier comments about targeting, because if if I get I think we're, we're, it's like we're predisposed to just help our friends at some level. So if I see a great article or website or any resource, I will send it to friends. It, it's just part of what we do. And, and, but your point about making it easy um, is an interesting one because I, I can think just this morning I was reading a blog and it's a blog that I follow regularly. I think the content is great. And he's made a decision to put a lot of the content in the email and there's no easy way for me to share the full context without just forwarding an email, which didn't seem quite appropriate. So there's some of these little details about making it easy that I think we need to think through. Sure. A good example is, uh, you know, we, we all know people that do a great job of listing all of their, their blogs or their articles or their white papers or whatever they are on their website. It, that's an easy point of reference. And I don't have to go back and search through it. You know, I can see, oh, this one was all about this particular topic and then this topic and click on it and away I go. Right. Mm, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and you, you, you mentioned that this is, of course, only one of the ways. Uh, are there, there are other things that you're seeing as it relates to referrals uh, or becoming referable more broadly that you just think advisors really need to be paying attention to these days? Uh, well, the differentiation aspect mm -hmm. is particularly important, uh, you know, and you know more than anyone, Julie, through your work that, you know, clients have difficulty telling the difference from one advisor to another, um, unless there is some element of the relationship that stands out. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, what can we do that, that stands out? You know, we can, we can become a subject matter expertise or subject matter expert rather. Uh, we can become, um, you know, the, the social convener of the, of the client group. Uh, there, there are different things that we can do to, to, to just so that when they go on, they say, oh, it's not, you know, oh, this is different, right? This person, you know, wears bow ties. It doesn't really matter. Got to work with that person. <laughs> and, I mean, do you, do you think that the challenge that we have in that area is because you know, advisors are doing great work. They're doing wonderful things for their clients and they just believe that to be different or that we just haven't perhaps thought it through enough in terms of, of what separates us because it does seem to be a sticking point uh, for a lot. Yeah, I would, I would say that, um, that many advisors, I was going to say most, but let's just restrict it to many, um, assume that the clients are hearing everything that they're saying. Right. That the advisor is saying. And they assume that the client perceives what they've said in the same way that the advisor perceives they've said it. And so often there is a disconnect. People, you know, have their own filters and biases and beliefs that affect how they receive information and interpret it. So it's worthwhile to check every once in a while and just say, hey, you know, are you enjoying these messages? What do you like about them? What do you dislike about them? Do they have meaning to you? What did you get from that last message I sent? What was the central thing that I was trying to convey, uh, even on an informal basis. 
It's well. It's you've just made me think it of of how similar it is to our personal relationships because. In the you know in a same way, I believe my husband hears everything I say, and that is clearly not true. <laughs> and um, I believe he understands what I'm saying, and, and that may also be untrue. So uh, maybe we just need to th- we need a, a spousal test, and and that should <laughs> should help. Well, but how do you but how do you you know it's a good point. How do you test that, George? How do you how can you uh, identify those things that do connect with the client and and understand? how they're interpreting things so that you can communicate more effectively with people like them. Yeah, I, I think, uh, well, the one, if there's a call to action and you don't get any response, then, <laughs> you know, either, either you're offering the wrong thing or it is of no interest to them. Um, but I think you just ask, I think you have to check in periodically and, you know, as you would with your spouse and just say, you know, I, I noticed that, you know, I've, I've said this, but you're behaving as if you didn't hear me. Yeah. <laughs> is that, is it, it's almost as if you're not listening. Yes. So, I, I mean, I honestly think that, you know, if uh, in, in, in the periodic review or in, in some other uh, casual way, you know, we're talking on the phone. Hey, what do you think of my latest uh, blog? Oh, don't read it. Oh, you know, how come? You know, this one particular was, I thought would be particularly interesting to you because. And, uh, and I think that's, you know, I, I don't know if there's a formal way. Uh, I mean, clearly you could do formal client surveys periodically and uh, and get some feedback that way. But I, I don't think that replaces the immediate response. Well, I, I, I think just to build on that, George, I think, um, you know, on the one level, there is a, a casual or informal conversation, but then there's also a, whether or not as a formal process. And so you could have a formal process to make sure you include that with, you know, with let, let's say your, your next 20 client meetings, you could put it on your own version of the agenda to make sure you bring that up and you can still be brought up in a conversational way. The biggest, the bigger challenge I see a lot of is that they, the advisors will approach it relatively informally, and that means that sometimes they'll do it, and sometimes they won't, and it won't, you know. And so, it, the the effect of that, of course, is is greatly diminished. But um, you know, how uh, can you give us some more examples of what kinds of things they could ask those clients about in terms of the content that they're creating to try to figure out what will, in fact, connect with those folks? Sure. Again, I think um, I, I think you've you've touched on, on something that I believe very strongly in, and that is to have a formal agenda and to put that on the agenda. And, you know, chances are if it's there that you'll at least get to it and position it as, you know, I'm just checking in to see if I'm communicating with you in a, in a way that has value. And so, for example, do you like my blog? Do you like this? What do you think of it? And what topics have been of the most interest to you? Um, so I, th- I think that's, uh, again, still still the best way. Um, informally, and I've forgotten the second half of your question. I'm sorry. So, uh, no, I think that was the question. I think that was what I was asking. So, I know we're just we're coming up to time here, but maybe we've talked about a number of different things, George, that advisors could be doing. So, if you were to to wrap that up a little and 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 think about maybe the one or two things that advisors could to take away and get started on, where where would you direct them? I would say to put yourself in the shoes of a prospective client and go through the exercise yourself, right? Google yourself, see what you find and see if you like it and see if it would 
in your mind attract the type of person that you're trying to attract probably the best judge the best gauge rather uh, you'll have some personal bias. You'll think you look better than you do and that sort of stuff. But uh, you think you're, you're more, more clever and witty than you actually are. Um, but if you can be a little bit objective about it and just say, you know, if, I, if a client's you – know, think about it. A client's gotten my uh, referral from somebody that obviously respects me. Am I living up to the respect that person has accorded me? So that when someone comes to – to see see me online, if we're using that example, um, you know, am I am I worthy? Am I doing? Am I presenting the picture that they would be proud? Well, here and it, it just I think it's a great idea to Google yourself, and I wonder if if we could even uh, extend that experiment a little further, and and you know, in so in addition to you googling yourself and looking to see what comes up. Ask your clients to either Google you or to look at your website and ask a few basic questions about that. You know, like, is this a good reflection of what we do for you? Is this, uh, you know, are we are we sufficiently um, stressing the things you believe are different about us from other advisors? That kind of stuff. That that might be a little better way to get some objective feedback on it. Yeah, I I think that's fabulous. Um, and then. You want the real test? Get your spouse to do it. <laughs> We've already determined they don't listen. So, um, but they're willing. But they're willing to share. But they are honest. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Well, no better place to end than that case. <laughs> uh, actually, George, just real quickly, if advisors are interested in learning more about what you do, where can they find you? Uh, so, if someone wants to get in touch with us and learn more about what we do, our, our website is very simple. It's marketlogics.ca. The word market followed by logics, L-O-G-I-C-S dot C-A. And hopefully they will find something of interest and value. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you, George. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you again. I am, I am honored and flattered for the opportunity. Hey, folks, Steve again. Thanks for joining us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really helps. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. So until next time, so long.